This podcast is brought to you by Voltero. In need of a break from the crypto roller coaster? Protect your earnings with physical gold. Find out more at Voltero.com, the world's first crypto commodities exchange. Backed by tech stars and used by thousands of investors around the globe. Welcome to Almost Here, Round the Corner of Future Technology Podcasts with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies poised to transform our lives for better or worse are the focus of this podcast. Almost Here means these technologies are now here and starting to be used or just around the corner from Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. This podcast is brought to you by Voltero. In need of a break from the crypto roller coaster? Protect your earnings with physical gold. Find out more at Voltero.com, the world's first crypto commodities exchange. Backed by tech stars and used by thousands of investors around the globe. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Future Tech Podcast. My guest today is Ashish Malik. He's the CEO of B Vectoring Technologies, also known as BVT. So, uh, Ashish, how are you? I'm very well, Richard. Thank you. Uh, my pleasure to talk to you today. Yeah, it's really uh, interesting. I, mean, I haven't really talked to anyone about bees, so tell me a little bit about your background and how did you get to uh, start working with bees? Yeah, I mean, so my personal background, I, so I've actually been involved in the agricultural industry for about 15 years. Uh, interestingly, I'm not, uh, you know, I, I didn't grow up on a farm or don't have farming in my blood, so to speak, like many of my you know, colleagues in the industry do. I'm an engineer by training, but I chose to come into this industry. I think food and understanding our food systems is one of the <clears throat> the most basic uh, things that we can do as a society. And, and, and I have a particular passion, or I started having a particular passion when my wife and I started a family some 20 years back. Um, so I've been involved in ag for 15 years. My passion is about safe, healthy food. And leaving a good legacy for my kids and grandkids to make sure that they have access to clean, affordable food themselves. That's great. Okay. And then to make a, a very bad pun, uh, tell me about your business. <laughs> What's the premise of it? <laughs> yeah, so very interesting. So agriculture is obviously a, a huge industry, in particular, crop protection or agricultural inputs in different forms are uh, uh, is a is a is a fifty billion dollar industry on a global scale. And um, you know, and, the, and these are primarily chemical products, right? So these are these are chemical pesticides, as you and I might know uh, more familiar with with that term. But you know, for a variety of reasons, these are these are products that are falling out of favor. Us as consumers, we don't like when farmers overspray or overuse chemicals, and so we're asking them to change their practices. Regulators regulators are themselves putting additional uh, requirements on these farming operations, and so farmers are looking at you know, different ways that they can grow their crops. They still have to find ways to increase the productivity of every acre of land that they have. And so, you know, one of the things that they already use today are are, are bees. They already use pollinators for increasing the pollination and therefore the, the yields of their crops. Today, mm -hmm. about 30% of the food that we eat can be attributed to a, a pollinator pollinating a crop. And so wow. what we've done quite simply is use that same natural system of bees pollinating the crop 
and we actually use the same bees to deliver a totally safe biological product to the flowering crop. And as that product gets delivered to the flowering crop, as the bees are, are using their natural pollination uh, system, then that product then protects the crop against diseases and pests that the crop will see in the field. Hence the word, hence the name bee vectoring technologies. The bees are actually vectoring these biological treatments for us. And it's a very sustainable practice. It's, it's different than what farmers are used to doing today, which is using heavy machinery to spray equipment. In some cases, they'll, they'll spray using airplanes these products onto crops. So it's a very inefficient, non-targeted way, uses a lot of water. Uh, and, and, and with the bees, we've eliminated a lot of the wasted product. And in a very efficient way, we can deliver these products to the crops. So uh, do you have the bees deliver specific um, chemicals or do you just have them do their pollination and by pollinating that's enough? So we actually, so they, they, they normally are doing the pollination, right? So they, they visit the flowers, you know, so they've got their beehives and uh, what they really, they visit the flower to get nectar and pollen, which are respectively energy sources or protein for the growing brood within the hive. So that's what they're doing naturally and, and therefore pollinating the crop. Uh, what we then do is we have a tray that is used with in combination with a beehive. And as the bees are flying out of their hive, they walk across this powder, which is specially formulated to carry a beneficial microbe. It's a beneficial fungus that then goes with the bee to the flower. And as the bees are pollinating and getting their food source, they are actually dropping and delivering this beneficial fungus into the flower. And that's mm. the portal of entry for many diseases and many pests that the crop will see. And so this beneficial mm. fungus, what it then does is it colonizes the plant tissue, just like you and I might eat a probiotic, right? We are eating a live right. micro, which is helping us fight diseases. It's the same idea. This product colonizes the crop and helps it fight against different pathogens or, or other insect pests. Hmm. Um, interesting. So how efficient are bees and how much would they cost to cover a field versus like an airplane or someone walking around spraying crops? You know, what, you have so they numbers? can be, yeah, so that's, that's, that's kind of where the science comes in, right? So, you know, we're, we're, we're approaching this as a scientific problem, as almost as an, en as an engineering problem. And we want to understand, you know, how many hives, for example, one of the things that we need to understand is how many hives per acre of land do we need to get proper dispersion off the biological product that we want to cover the crop with, right? So in some crops, that might be two hives per acre. In other crops, it might be only one hive for every three acres. It, it can really vary because it depends on the density of the flowers for that crop, right? So that's where our expertise comes in from a product development perspective to understand, in a sense, what is our dose rate, right? So we think about, normally we think about dose rate in terms of grams or liters of active ingredient per acre. In our case, we think about how many hives per acre do we need. And, and what we find is that for crops like strawberries or blueberries, even in sunflowers, we can be as effective and as cost effective, I should say, as a traditional um, foliar uh, uh, spray using spray equipment.
Okay. So is it a lot more efficient or is it about the same or, uh, you know, in general? Well, in many cases, yeah. So in many cases, it, so in many cases it can be more efficient. In other cases, it can be a little less efficient. And the reason for that is, I mean, you, you, you know, visualize an outdoor strawberry field, which, um, you know, subject to temperature changes and, and rainfall and, and freeze events. And so one of the things that, you know, you and I, we don't like playing outdoors if it's freezing, right? So the same thing is right. true for bees. These are biological organisms. So they'll, they tend to stay indoors inside the hive. So if, if you've got, you know, temperature uh, fluctuation, then what we tell the farmer is to go ahead and use traditional crop protection uh, approaches. But in the conditions where the bees are happy to fly, we can actually be much more efficient than the uh, than the traditional spray uh, methodology. I would think, so, yeah, I would think it'd be a lot more efficient, and and also too, I don't know if this would allow someone to be like organically certified, or at least to, absolutely, to, you know, make a claim they don't use pesticides. <clears throat> that you're absolutely right. So the initial market for us is the organic organic farmer, but we believe that this technology has you know um, um, incredible value proposition even in conventional agriculture. You know, we've shown conventional farmers that they can increase their yields, they get a, a better quality fruit. We've done a lot of work with strawberries and blueberries, for example. And what we find is biological products are better suited for fruit quality and fruit health than chemical products would be. So we can improve the revenue per basket or revenue per acre opportunity the farmer has. And then, and then ultimately, we've actually shown that we can actually improve the shelf life of the strawberry. So rather than getting a 21-day shelf life after the strawberry is picked, we can increase that to 24 or 25 days, which is actually huge because that means the, sh the strawberry can sit at the grocery store for that much longer or in our homes for that much longer, right? So that may not benefit the farmer directly, but it would benefit the grocery store or the big berry companies like Driscoll's and and Wellpicked and and companies like that. Why would it increase uh, shelf life? So it's it's to do it's 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 part of what we do is help the crop fight um, uh, the disease that causes the strawberry to rot, and that's gray mold. Hmm. And gray mold is you know when you see a strawberry rot, you actually start seeing a gray fuzz develop on on the berry. Well, that's yeah, yeah, the yeah. pathogen. Yeah, that's caused by a pathogen called botrytis. So we actually help the crop fight botrytis and when the and when the strawberry is picked there's less botrytis on it that then increases therefore the shelf life huh. so how do you uh is this like rent a hive where you bring them in for a period of time yeah, or are they, good are they there forever or? <clears throat> it's a great question so there's there's different kinds of pollinators so we work with uh initially we're working with commercial bumblebees so there are companies believe it or not that'll uh, in a sense, rear the same native bumblebee that we have in, in the U.S., um, and uh, they then sell hives that'll contain a queen and maybe 50 or 60 insects in a box to the farmer. And so what we've actually developed is a system that works with these beehives, and our tray that carries the microbe goes inside that beehive. So we work with the big bumblebee companies, for the bumblebee uh, application, but then we get to honeybees, where it's a different group of 
uh, partners that we have, which are the commercial beekeepers. So for that system, what we are developing is a system that will sit and attach on the outside of a honey beehive. And uh, what we are there giving is the honey beekeeper an opportunity to actually get more revenue for their beehive. So rather than getting, it might be $150 or $200 per hive for just pollination, they can now double that and and uh, um, you know get revenue because they're also using that same system to deliver a crop protectant. Hmm. So we have different Great. business models for bumblebees than we do for honeybees. Interesting. And what about um, you know I've heard in the news about colony collapse disorder and various ailments affecting bees. Has that affected your business or the industry at all? Not yet. Uh, I'm mean, sure. It's, so it's affect. It hasn't affected our business. Of course, it's affected the industry. <clears throat> so colony collapse disorder has many causes, um, which are still not completely understood. But um, but what we have. And, and by the way, I should start off by saying that that's something you see and hear about for honeybees. We don't have that issue for bumblebees. So for us, for the business side, you know, on the bumblebee side, it's it's a non-issue for us, right? It's a that uh, doesn't change our, our our business outlook. On the honeybee side, the interesting uh, opportunity is, you know, one of the causes for colony collapse is the overuse of chemicals and chemical pesticides. And so, using our system, a farmer actually doesn't have to use any chemical pesticides. So the total load, if you will, for that same acre of land of chemicals is greatly reduced. So the great thing here is, you know, this is an ultimate sustainable model because the bees are helping themselves, right? If they deliver the biological, which is totally safe to them, and therefore the farmer doesn't have to spray as many chemicals, it can actually help them from a bee health perspective and colony health perspective as well. That's true, right? You have the pesticides and the chemicals you spray in the field. I mean, I'm sure they the bees pick them up too, so it can hurt them. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Huh. There are several causes for colony collapse, but the overuse of chemical pesticides or the off-label use of chemical pesticides is certainly one of the contributing factors. Yeah, um, how, when there's a field, I just look. I'm picturing a you know gigantic rectangle. Where do you? Yeah. I mean, without being giving away proprietary secrets, like how do you know where to place the hives, and how do you know that the bees will know that the flowers are there and go see them? Well, so so the bees are pretty smart. I mean, they will go to where their food source is, right? So uh, they will naturally uh, look for flowers that are rich in in nectar or in pollen. So uh, when it comes to placing the hive, it, and again, the answer is it depends on the crop, quite honestly. So for example, in an almond field, so almonds are, there's about a million acres of almonds that are, I, I live in California, by the way, just outside of Sacramento. And starting in Sacramento going south, there's about a million acres of almonds that bloom every February and about a million uh, uh, honeybee hives in a three or four week period in February pollinate all of those almond trees. Okay. Now, during that time in February, there aren't, uh, there aren't many other flowers that are as rich in nectar and pollen that are blooming. So the bees will automatically just go to the almond tree. So for that crop, we want to be able to place the beehives around the perimeter based again on the you know the dose rate so to speak that we have calculated right so that's how we do it in in almonds in other crops you know you may have multiple flowers uh wildflowers for example that uh, could be in a sense competing 
for that same bee compared to the farmer's crop, right? So in that respect, in that example, it's more important to find out where to place the beehives, right? So the bumblebees, for example, in a strawberry field in Florida, we want to make sure that they're actually pollinating the farmer's field that they're paying money for and not going to their neighbor's field or not going to visit some wildflowers that's maybe 100 yards away. So understanding the uh, the surrounding fields and therefore strategically placing these bumblebees in the right you know corners or perimeters of that strawberry field are it does become important how fast when you you know you put a hive in next to a field you know how long does it take for the bees to figure out something's there you know do you have to like you know is it like a dog do you have to get a sample of the crop and put it near the hive and say here you go you know smell this no no they're or they just figure it out that's their food source so they'll they'll start foraging and so there's different you know, it's funny if you, you know, and I'm, by the way, I'm not an entomologist. I don't understand bee behavior that well. But what I do understand is that within a beehive, there are specifically roles for different bees. So there are foraging bees that whose role it is to just scout the area outside of their hive and find the best, you know, food source. So those bees get to work right away. And uh, one of the things that we do is we, at least on the bumblebee side, will typically place a hive that may have, like I said earlier, about 60 insects. That hive will still mature and probably reach 200 to 300 bees at its when it's full mature, fully mature. <clears throat> but those first 50 or 60 are already scouting and, and, and bringing food back to the hive to grow the brood, right? So that's the way this, the, it works. Wouldn't it be ideal to just, you know, put the beehive like literally right in the geometric center of a field? Or is that it would. It would. That... It no, absolutely, it's possible, and that would be ideal, right? If you put it in the middle, then it kind of radially goes out from there. So you also have to think about what else is the farmer doing on that field, because they'll have hmm. they may have tractors that are going through that section of the field. Um, they have workers that you know come and walk the field to either pick the fruit or or you know work the the field in other ways. So you also have to think about where the equipment that the farmer uses will be going, because uh, you don't want to disrupt the bees. Once you place them, you want their you want them to stay there for the course of the growing season. Hmm. Yeah. So typically, typically we will actually place them on the perimeter because we also want to be able to ha- get access to the to the hive. We we have our people will go and visit the hive regularly every three to four days just to make sure that the hive is still healthy. Uh, we also have to replace, you know, we have to replenish. To, so, so once the bees are delivering the beneficial microbe, it's being used up. So we have to replenish it. So every four days, mm-hmm. we actually replace the cartridge. Uh, so we have to be able to have access to where the bee hives are located as well. Oh, so you have, uh, okay, I didn't think about that. So you have a cartridge like you slot into the beehive or put right next to it so that the bees walk on that, get the stuff on their feet, and then when they go fly out and pollinate, they distribute it. That's exactly how it works. You're right. And so every every third or fourth day, you have to replace that cartridge. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. And so that's another one of the big benefits, right? So think about a traditional practice for a farmer is to spray the crop maybe every three, four, five days, depending again on the on the disease pressure that they may have. But between those sprays, nothing's happening right so if you spray and then you know you miss 
you miss the disease outbreak because the disease outbreak comes the day after you spray, then that pest can actually affect the crop until you get the next spray, right? So you've got this periodic event of sprays and you can miss the actual outbreak of the pest. With with our system, the bees are flying every single day. They're constantly delivering a little bit of you know, fresh inoculum, if you will, off the beneficial fungus. So it's a, a much more consistent. Del- we call it the inoculum. So it's the it's the Jeez. the beneficial biological. Uh, if you think about a a normal practice, uh, uh, when a farmer is spraying their crop, they're typically spraying every fourth or fifth day. And so what that mm. means is, you know, they're not necessary. If there's a fresh outbreak of a of a disease that happens to come you know, the day after you've sprayed, it potentially can flare up over the next three days before you have the next spray, right? So you've Mm. got, you actually could miss the outbreak of the pest. With our system, the bees are flying every single day. And so the delivering a fresh, you know, mini dose, if you will, of the beneficial fungus uh, every day. And so you get much more continuous delivery of the plant treatment agent. The, you know, that's one of the other benefits of of our um, of our system. And the bees don't miss any of the crop? I mean, they get everything? So, I mean, for sure. Uh, I mean, what we have to, again, uh, uh, our field biologists, what they have to determine is what's the right amount of hives that you need per acre. So mm. one of the things that we'll find is that the bees will preferentially go to the closest uh, flower, right? But right. once, But once the first wave of bees have visited those flowers, there's no more nectar or there's no more pollen available for them there. So then the next wave of, of bees will go to the, you know, will go a little bit farther. So we again have to determine, you know, how many hives do you need to cover that entire field? But part of what also happens is once the biological agent has been delivered to some of the flowers, it also moves because of wind or because of other natural pollinators that are on the field from one flower to the next. So we also get dispersion across the field, not only from the bees that are delivering, you know, the fresh uh, treat, the uh, biological agent, but also within the field from one flower to the other. You also see some of that transfer happening. Yeah, well, now that I think about it, you know, if, they, if, if the, the hive is right near a part of the field, and they hit those flowers first, and they suck the nectar out. You know, the nectar must be regenerating. So they visit them again, or is it just once for the season and done? No, they will revisit it again. But in the in the mean, but while it takes, you know, while it gets uh, uh, regenerated, if you will, by the crop, in the meantime, the other flowers will be will be um, um, visited by the bees, right? So the bees are very good also at signaling to the rest of the hive that this. The food at this particular location in the field is exhausted. Go somewhere else. So they also have all these ways to signal one another where they need to go because, you know, they want to get a reward for when they visit a flower. Yeah, because, right, if the field's too big, I can see why you need multiple hives, not just because, like, maybe the end of the field's too far away, but it may take the bees, I don't know, a couple of weeks to get there. And by that time, it may yeah, be Yeah, exactly, late. exactly. So one of the things that we find is uh, for bumblebees, we know that a bumblebee may fly between two to 300 yards to go look for food. So one of the things that we've learned is that at most, we need to have, you know, 200 yards between our hives. They need to be ideally closer to that, right? 
So those are the kinds of things that you learn. And um, I, again, we determine how many hives we need to be placed within every 200 yards. Mm, okay. Yeah. When, when you place them, are they just sitting? Is it just like a modular structure that you put in one spot? Yeah. So what we do like, is... You know, what if you pull them in on like a flatbed truck, you know, and then you uh, you work it's like a mobile uh, hive and you can move it around when you need yeah, you can move it around. We typically don't want to do that because it's kind of you know you're disturbing their home, so they don't they're not really happy when you if you were to move them around. So what we do is before this, you know, once we know that the farmer wants this particular field protected, we'll scout that field uh, before he plants, or you know, or while he's planting, because it still takes a few weeks for the flowers to grow, and we 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 prepare the field for where the bees will go. And we put down a pallet, and we typically will, you know, put a flag down so that everybody knows this is where the bees are going to go. And then when we get the bees from our supplier, we just place them directly onto the pallet, hmm. and uh, and there you go. And then in, in some cases we'll put, you know, quads. We, we we get the bees in in groups of four hives, so we'll just put one quad on a pallet. We can actually put two quads, one on top of one another. Uh, there's different configurations that we can that we can use. Okay, very interesting. Yeah. Um, so what's the what's the plan for the coming uh, year and the next few years? Any new developments that you're working on? Yeah, I mean, so we're focused on bringing this technology to market in the southeastern United States, and we're focusing on the berry crops. So we're focusing on strawberries and blueberries. And um, you know, we've now had multiple years where we've done field trials, and we do field trials with independent researchers uh, that'll actually do replicated studies. I mean, just just the way that a medical company or a, a healthcare company would would do a clinical study for a new drug, the same concept applies for you know developing products in our industry. And so these researchers will do replicated studies and and determine and generate data that shows how it performs against current grower practices. So we've been doing that in strawberries and blueberries for a couple of years. We've also done some large large scale commercial demos in in Florida in the strawberry growing area in Florida and this winter we hope to start doing some pilot revenue with some of the growers that we've worked with before. Um and so that's our target. Our target is to get pilot revenue in the winter strawberry growing season in Florida starts in November. So for winter of this year is that's our that's our business goal. And in parallel, we are we are working with um, a um, uh, with the United States EPA, right, the Environmental Protection Agency, because uh, we want to make sure we have a registered product that is uh, as viewed to be perfectly safe by a farmer to apply in their field. So this is a regulated industry in which we operate. So we want to get uh, registration as a biological fungicide. So that's that's an effort that's going on in parallel while we're doing our pre-marketing activities. Well, very good. So what's the best way for um, you know farmers and other individuals to find out more about this and to contact you if they're interested? So we have a really good website and it has a little it, it has a very nice video that shows how the technology works. So I encourage everybody to visit www.beevt.com. And uh, there's a couple of links there on how to contact us, and, and we, we'll be happy to follow up with any further questions that they may have. Okay. Well, very good, Ashish. Thank you for uh, for taking the time. It's, it's been really interesting. It's an unusual thing you're doing, but uh, very helpful. My pleasure. Thank you, Richard. 
You've been listening to Almost Here, Around the Corner of Future Technology podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast, post to review, to discover more future technologies that are poised to transform our lives for better or worse, such as Bitcoin, artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more.